Good morning. My name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience, Amateur Hour. Thank you so much for tuning back in. Uh, I am really excited about today's episode. Today I want to talk about Candy Crush and all other match three mindless time sucks that we have all played at least once in our lives. These games dominate the doctor's office waiting room, the bus ride home, any spare few minutes we have that we want to fill with something low effort and empty headed. My personal vice is the Tuscany Villa Match 3 decoration game. I'm a little bit of a sucker for interior design. And if you are one of those people that says, I never play those games, know that I admire you greatly and that you are definitely in the minority. Candy Crush, at least as of 2019, was the most popular mobile game in the world. I actually ended up looking up the most popular games in 2021, And while Candy Crush was up there in top 10, I'm pretty sure the most popular mobile games were PUBG, Among Us, ooh, throwback to early quarantine, and Pokemon Go. So maybe we're starting to drift away from obnoxious and brightly colored candies. At any rate, you can't ignore the fact that everyone and their mother plays some sort of Candy Crush or its differently themed clone. All of these games have the same addictive engine driving gameplay with different skins overlaid on top. That way they appeal to as many different audiences as possible, whether you like decorating hotel rooms, drifting through Atlantis, or farming some veggies. These games fill what Adam Alter, author of the book Irresistible, calls time slack. The five hours or so during the day that don't need to be spent doing anything else such as working or sleeping or eating. Most of us spend these hours watching Netflix, spending time with our families, our friends, our children, engaging in our hobbies, and yes, playing silly games. It's also important to remember that these games are wildly profitable. In 2018, players of Candy Crush spent an average of $4.2 million a day. A day. On Candy Crush Saga alone. Can you imagine that? And that number was up from the year before, and up from the year before that. Candy Crush and its lookalikes have made their owners trillions of dollars. And for something so simple, these games are engineered to tap into your brain and keep you coming back for more. They're easy to get into, satisfying to play, and impossible to put down. These games are built on a couple of basic foundations. First of all, they make you wait. You get five opportunities to match three, and once you run out, you have to wait a significant amount of time for another life. It creates a pretense of scarcity and instills a sense of wanting. It also prevents you from, importantly, binging the game and promptly getting tired of it. Not only is this game dynamic a means of forcing users to pay to play, but it's also cheating something called hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation is the principle that we get used to nice things over time until they're no longer as pleasurable. Nature has evolved an incentive system of prizes and punishments in our brains to drive human beings to be better versions of ourselves. We are rewarded for eating nutritious food, for drinking good, clean water, 
for making children or practicing doing so, and generally taking care of ourselves and propagating our bloodlines. Similarly, we are punished for eating things that could harm us or engaging in destructive behaviors. When we do something beneficial or detrimental, our brains need to provide an intense enough sensation to fulfill their warning or defense roles. When you eat something good for you, your brain sends a signal telling you to continue doing that behavior. Go get that mushroom. It's getting you the protein that you need. Or, I don't know, deer or something. Berry. Vitamins. (laughs) I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Um, But think about what happens if you repeat that behavior over and over again. Your new rewarded sensation becomes your new baseline. And since our neurological reward systems are adaptable, our representations of specific rewards can jump back to baseline, making things that were previously pleasurable less less pleasurable with increased consumption. For those of us like me who sit here panicking about whether or not I can ever enjoy anything ever again, please know that multiple studies have shown that taking breaks increases your enjoyment when you come back to the activity. And that is the fundamental reason that Candy Crush and similar games limit the amount of time you can spend playing the game at any one increment. They prevent your reward systems from treating the the rewarding experience of matching candies or leveling up as a new baseline and no longer finding it an enjoyable experience. In essence, they are hacking your brain. (laughs) Uh, to keep you coming back for more. Another classic Candy Crush game dynamic is bright colors that grab your attention and keep it. The words that pop up on the screen are positive, like sweet, delicious, or amazing. And when you finish a level or a puzzle, you receive affirmation. The game is telling you, good job, you did it. These bright colors might evoke childhood memories of a game like Candyland or other board games, or even comforting toys. But in general, bright colors and high contrasts are known to grab attention. A study, out of the South, a study out of South Bank University in London, England, and Bill Kent University in Ankara, Turkey, asked participants to view a colored square on a colored background of various hues, saturations, and brightnesses, and determine which one attracted their attention the most. Participants consistently stated that colors of maximum saturation and brightness attracted the most attention. Match 3 games use these bright colors to keep your eyes glued to the screen and your attention on the game. The game also affirms you with every win and every loss, firing up that good good dopamine reward pathway. When I say reward pathway, I mean specifically the mesolimbic dopamine pathway. When you experience something rewarding, a brain region called the BTA releases the neurotransmitter dopamine onto another brain region, the nucleus accumbens, which forms circuits with other regions such as the amygdala, which is responsible for tying experiences to emotions, and the hippocampus, which is a really important brain region involved in regulating memory. Furthermore, this game is partially designed to be played one-handed, meaning you can do it at a family dinner, while you're holding onto the pole on the subway, or holding your prescription in the waiting room. It forces you to multitask, to split your attention between your commute, job, moment in question, 
and the game. One really funny, famous example was when MP Nigel Mills, who defended a majority in the Derbyshire seat of Amber Valley in the UK, was caught playing Candy Crush for two hours during a House of Commons committee hearing about pension reforms. I believe he was he promptly apologized and I believe lost his seat in the next election, but you know, these kids on their phones these days. But there isn't much evidence that we can effectively multitask in the first place. Or more specifically, we inflate our abilities to multitask. We can technically shift our attention from idea to idea or object to object, but we can't place our attention on two objects at once. We do quote-unquote multitask fairly often, whether it's driving to work and listening to a podcast such as this one, or listening to music and going about our workday. But at the core, our brain has evolved to execute one task at a time. There are several brain regions and networks thought to be involved in executive control and sustained attention. The first of these is the frontoparietal control network, which supports the coding of a task goal and the selection of task-relevant information. When we approach a task, a goal representation in the frontoparietal control network is thought to guide attention allocation and to select information that is relevant to achieve the task goal. This action is mediated by another network called the dorsal attention network, the DAN, if you will, which helps to process relevant information and filter out irrelevant information. Thus, having multiple task goals places greater demand on these networks, which are in turn limited in their capacities. Competing streams of information may disrupt the execution and performance of another task. Attention and executive control networks are a huge body of research, and I am 110% doing another episode that's going to dive deeper into this topic because it is so, so, so cool. But I wanted to give you a really brief overview in the context of uh, Match 3 Games. Finally, and I would argue the most addictive game mechanism, is that there is always something more and you feel like you're about to get there. There's always another level, another design challenge, another swipe to do. You never get stuck in the game. If the board runs out of Match 3 options, it immediately reshuffles and you can keep swiping. But when the game forces you to stop, when you run out of lives, you get frustrated. Games like Candy Crush bank on your feelings of frustration. Think back to the last time you played a level and you can see that you'll finish the level in just one or two moves and all of a sudden, bam, you're out. That's it, you're done. These kinds of near-miss outcomes are also prevalent in other addictive games like slot machines. Imagine getting two out of three bananas on the screen, just short of what you need to hit the jackpot. Gambling institutions have long known that near misses have been shown to invigorate participation despite other frustrating outcomes. Because a near miss reflects a thwarted goal, it tends to promote a negative emotional experience. Players will rate a win as being pleasant, and near pleasant <laughs> and near misses are unpleasant and even more unpleasant than normal losses. This is normally measured by uh, looking at the amount of time between the player being informed of the outcome 
whether it's a win, a loss, or a near miss, and their choice of starting the next game. After a win, players would wait a significantly longer time than a near miss, uh, where they would start a new game almost immediately. Uh, Doing so is thought to help overcome the unpleasantness of a thwarted victory. Much of this research has been conducted in connection to gambling and slot machine players, but researchers out of the University of Waterloo examined the heart rate, sweat level, arousal, and frustration levels of Candy Crush players to look at whether near misses to leveling up increase the urge to keep playing. They found that, yeah, Candy Crush did result in an elevated heart rate compared to baseline simply meaning that playing is an exciting, arousing experience. And as predicted, near misses in Candy Crush produced significantly higher levels of arousal compared to regular losses. The frustration of a near miss is highly motivating to keep playing, potentially even more so than a win, because a win could be considered a natural stopping point. While the game algorithms are undoubtedly a company secret, I I firmly believe that there's some sort of game engineering that occurs to increase the number of near misses players experience. Candy Crush is meant to and successfully makes a shit ton of money by capitalizing on the fact that when people get frustrated, they'll spend money to keep playing. At the moment, these microtransactions are only 99 cents or 4.99, but over time, they can add up and, you know, Punch a significant hole in your finances. In fact, in May 2018, a petition with over 10,000 signatures asked British MPs to discuss the idea of loot boxes and microtransactions in relation to UK gambling legislation. This tie between these these Candy Crush-like games and gambling doesn't come out of nowhere. At their core... Candy Crush, and their lookalikes build off the same neurological principles and game mechanisms that are engaged during gambling behavior and addiction. I also want to take a little moment to talk about about some of the consequences of long-term Candy Crush gaming. Given the increasing popularity of free-to-play and casual games, some researchers have sought to investigate the effects of being faced with frequent purchase decisions within these games on players. Theories of self-control suggest that people have limited resource pools of self-control and that facing frequent frustration and purchasing decisions may deplete this resource. I found a paper out of the University of Waterloo, which I need to check whether or not it's from the same lab, but if not, wow, it's really, (laughs) Candy Crush is a popular question over there. But I found a paper out of the University of Waterloo, which investigated various factors impacting player behavior specifically focusing on self-control. They observed that the more time players spent on in-app purchases correlated with lower levels of self-control. However, they also observed that purchases and self-control levels were not significantly correlated with the amount of time people play, game addiction, or problem, problem video game playing. Thus, Increased exposure to purchase decisions in Candy Crush are related to lower levels of self-control, but are not related to gaming addictions. In summary, Candy Crush is kind of a new, fun new form of gambling on your phone. 
a game engine wrapped in a variety of pretty packages that have been specifically engineered to hijack your basic neurological functions. They're deceptively simple. They have a few basic game mechanisms, such as bright colors, forced waiting, and built-in frustration that keep your eyes glued to the screen and you coming back for more. In small amounts, there is nothing wrong in taking your mind off of the many things that keep you busy in your life. But I do want you to know how these games operate and how they're meant to get inside your head. That is a bite-sized overview of the neuroscience of Candy Crush and other Match 3 games. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and you learned something new. I've cited all my relevant sources and papers in the show notes, and you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. Please rate and review, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neurosciencemateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neurosciencemateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about it, please contact me, and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching, and I hope to see you again. Bye.